cut you the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares, I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask him how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Well, welcome back to Action Jacks. I'm Tamar Oliani on the board. S&P Futures down 41. This is our nice rally yesterday. Can't seem to get two good days together in a row anymore. It's sort of like, sort of like Brendan at his age. You can't put two days... Oh, sorry, Brendan. Can't put two good days in a row together. Just saying, you know. I'm, I bet you I'm can't, just trying. I bet you can't run back-to-back marathons anymore like you used to. Uh, not anymore. Nope. That, that's the thing of the past. Well... The fact that you ever that you ever did it is pretty amazing. But uh, what was your if you had to go back just real quick? What, what was your the marathon you enjoyed the most? Um, I, I think that the most well the, the most memorable one was running in Antarctica. But because uh, <laughs> not too many people get to do that, and that was a wonderful experience. Um, but I've, I've had some one I can't really pick one out. I like. You know, the, the first time I ran Boston was the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon, and that was remarkable. How did you How did you get to Antarctica? There's no landing strip down there, is there? Take a boat. <clears throat> you take a boat from Ushuaia, the southern tip of Argentina, across the Drake Passage, and you run, and then you come back over the boat, on the boat. Um, isn't that passage supposed to be, like, really bumpy? It can be, yep. <clears throat> yeah, it was... Uh, it was relatively mild, but it was still challenging getting across in both directions. They say it's the worst, uh, the worst piece of water in the world. Yeah, it's right. It's where the Pacific and the Atlantic come together, right? They, they're not. And the Antarctic Ocean. There are three yeah. oceans that converge down there. Did you ever see the movie um, Master and Commander with Russell Crowe? Uh, parts of it. There was a scene where it's a terrible storm as they're going around the, the tip of, of South America. That's the Drake Passage. <laughs> well, that's an amazing, amazing reason for the Panama Canal, right? <laughs> that's much. right. That was the reason for the Panama Canal being built, to avoid that. Wow. Um, hey, what do you make of, uh, you know, we had a nice update yesterday, not so much today, and uh, the Snapchat earnings, they pretty much, in the, let's see. In the, in the macro, this is uh, Snap CEO Evan Spiegel. The macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than we anticipated when we issued our quarterly guidance last month. So there you go. Stock is down 665 to 1582. And I'm going to say here, well, I'll get the tippy top, so I'll make it the worst it could be. Uh, The tippy top was on uh, 923.21 at a solid $79 a share. And now it's 15. Um... That's a number, Brendan. And we have uh, 1.5 or thereabouts billion shares outstanding. So we've dropped, uh, what the hell, is, what is that? It's uh, 75 minus 15, it's, let's say 16. Let's call it uh, 50, 50 plus dollars times, uh, what is that, 75, 80 billion dollars of market cap? When was, when, was this pla- when was this place ever worth 100 billion dollars? I mean... People wonder why these stocks are going down. Look at these numbers. Why they were never worth any of this. Yeah. This place has never made a dime. 
they've, they don't think they've ever, they've ever had a profit at all. I don't, probably, maybe they never will. I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, well, how many businesses are like that? I mean, even even thinking about innovative ideas like like Tesla or some of the the startup companies that never really turned a profit and yet sold for multi millions or billions of dollars. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, no, it doesn't. And uh, the scary part is there's some of them. Uh, Carvana is one of them. Uh, uh, Palantir is one of them. Where you give these executives and the people on the board too, which I don't. Uh, I'd love you to comment on that a little bit. I mean, how how can you? Your job is to essentially watch the management, right, and fire them if you need to. How how can you do that if you're co-opted by getting stock options as well? In a, in a, Pal- right. in a Palantir situation. That's, that's always a question about how do you set CEO and C-suite salaries by the board when you've got a limited number of people who serve on various boards who are supporting each other. <coughs> and where really is their fiduciary relationship in actuality, not theory, because you know they should be looking out for all of the stockholders, not just those in the C-suite. But if they're the ones who are profiting from, uh, from salary boosts and stock options, you have to question how reliable the fiduciary duty is to the stockholders and to the company. Well, I'm going to lab one out there, and you may disagree. When you see some of these stories, like the Palantir situation, I think the the chairman and uh, president and a few of the guys on the board, stocks never paid a dividend, never paid a dime, never made a dime. And uh, I'm saying that they, they got stock options at like two bucks that they were able to exercise and sell, which essentially puts... You know, de- deflates or uh, what's the word when you uh, put more stock into the system, you make everybody else's stock worth less, right? And they it were dilutes the value of the stock. It dilutes. Thank you for the word. And uh, these <laughs> these guys total together made two point one billion dollars in a company that's never made a dime, and the, and the shareholders have never got a dividend. I mean, and, it, and everybody thinks this is this is the way to go these days. I mean, Brenda, this this. This is why when they have revolutions, they run around and kill people, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, how, That's right. I mean, it's a, it, it is so. F- I'm not saying that that people in a starting business shouldn't be paid well if they're if they are visionary and stuff like that. This is way over. I mean, how much money has is Musk taken out of Tesla? I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Tesla pays a dividend. If they do, it's probably not much. I mean, and they it well, enough to build a space rocket and go up to space. <laughs> well, but I'm saying he he. Uh, I'm not, not saying that you know I'm not I'm not I'm not making any as you know aspersions against that being something special, and even even the Tesla stuff. But the fact is, they probably wouldn't be in business without the money from the government on the carbon credits. And this guy has made mm-hmm. he's the richest man in the world, and the company's never made a dime. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, well, it's also it's also a lot of the investors who are willing to put up money uh, on the come because they believe that it's eventually going to turn a profit, but. And how long and how much of it goes to him in the interim? You know, I have I have a, a conceptual problem when I think about people like Musk, who seems to use his fortune for things like buying Twitter or going to the moon or going into space, um, instead of plowing it back into more innovative things for Tesla and for the electric car industry. You know, I I have no no problem with him investing in the future in things that um, at least arguably will be better for the planet and better for mankind. But the stuff is on pockets, and to do things like 
by Twitter or you know, how many houses do you need or how many yachts do you need. Um, when your company's not making the dime or not turning a profit for years and years, that that hits me the wrong way. Well, I mean, look at the people that have, it's become this game. Uh, we all know it's not a game. I mean, look at how much money, I'm going to say Cisco or Oracle, the stock hasn't performed in 22 years, and yet Chambers mm-hmm. and the other guy, uh, who's the other guy? Chambers and the other guy are rich beyond the dreams of avarice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this whole idea of, of issuing people these stack options at like two bucks in a stack. I mean, at the end, last year, didn't Musk have to sell how many billion dollars worth to pay his taxes, right? Because he had a, he had to exercise, and it was a, a but this whole idea of having a, a time on it where he, the guy has to pay himself. Well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, my stock option at two bucks when the stock's trading two hundred, it, it, it expires on Friday. I have to give myself one hundred ninety-eight dollars. I really wouldn't want to, but you're forcing me to. Brenda, is that the right. biggest bunch? Was that the biggest bunch of BS you ever heard, or or what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, when you're talking about Oracle and you know, the companies like that. At one time, they were profitable and performed a service. Well, they still are. I, I, I don't are. object to. I don't object to that as much. You know, I analogize that to a baseball player who has played a rookie with a, a rookie contract for four or five years, and then it's a big payday, even though he's you know he's past his prime at a certain point. But uh, because they've done something and they're rewarded for past performance, in the case of a lot of the companies now, like, like Carvana, or example, or the Musk and Tesla. They haven't proved themselves as really worthy for that amount of money. A lot of people are speculating that that's going to happen, and they use those proceeds to line their own pockets at the C-suite level and even at the, the board of directors level, and that's where I have a real problem. Well, I, I'm not I'm not going to accuse, but I'm going to say for maybe tomorrow, once I have a minute, um, I might go find this guy Evan Spiegel, who's the Snap CEO. May turn out the guy's making you know 100 grand a year because he doesn't want to make any money till the but I'm suspecting that's not the case. I'm suspecting the guy's done exceptionally well, even though there's no money there. Um, I, you know, the question is, I really believe, uh, I believe, you know, Brennan, I, uh, from the from my time on the CBOE, and it was a a really good bunch of people there. Okay, and then even then, the board had its its stuff. Where to me, it was totally out of control in some ways. Uh, at a very small level, I can only imagine if they weren't good people to start with. I, I think that one of the biggest problems we have in this country, in this corporate world, is this whole board system basically blows. And I, and I, I don't, I have no idea how to fix it. I don't have a clue how to fix it, but I tell you, it's it's broken in my mind. Not everyone. I agree uh, with you. I mean, not anyone, but clearly, how do how do you explain to a shareholder that the, that the that the guys running the place uh, made $2 billion and the joint just folded. <laughs> How do you explain that to any common person and it w- w- with, a, with a straight face? Mm-hmm. Well, again, the, the other analogy is like uh, Purdue, the, the Sackler family for the, for the pharmacology and how many billions of dollars did they make uh, by pumping out opioids and... Um, you know, lining their pockets, and even using the bankruptcy court there to avoid any liability or paying back any much, much of the monies that that have been um, have been put in their pockets. Well, yeah, I don't. But I mean, here we were talking about. I mean, I have uh, fortunately at, at PTI, uh, we don't really have a lot of people who are involved in some of these stocks. 
Um, but I mean, this this company was never worth a uh, hundred billion dollars, in my opinion. Um, but but now we're we're seeing this virtually every day. We're seeing one go down like a ten pin, right? And uh, right. And and you know, I, there are people uh, for some of the places that I do business with that had had some Netflix. There are people who. For some reason, when people got a lot of this Nvidia, I don't know. Maybe that's, but that's been. If you if you watch CNBC, I guess you got Nvidia because it was Kramer's favorite stock and all this other kind of stuff. And I, I I'm kind of stunned uh, on the legal world, Brent. And I, I bring this up every now and then. And it's not like anybody can do anything about it. But we actually, <laughs> Finra, who's a regulatory body, they can't wait to put like regular brokers out of business <laughs> with incredibly mm-hmm. insane rules. And yet, if you're if you're Schwab or somebody, and you know you do a sell the order flow, and do it yourself and bury yourself, you're okay. You know, <laughs> which I don't. But one one of the things is that you uh, uh, it, the latest now is if somebody calls me up, or if somebody sits down next to me at a bar and buys me, and they don't have to buy me a beer, and says, well, "What do you think IBM?" and I go, "Oh, I love it." Even even if you didn't do the trade for somebody, even if even if you never even knew who the guy was. That you have that that's considered a recommendation by some moron at FINRA from somebody who's a registered person. Yet I, all these companies can go on TV where the company, even maybe they personally might not be registered, but the country, company surely is. And all they do is tout everything that they that they own <laughs> and, and and talk mm-hmm. people into these companies. I mean, I I and, and the whole the whole issue with people that are elderly and all kinds of stuff. And yet, every single person that I talk to in some of these places where it's a new client or whatever, people are are seventy five years old and they got all these stocks because all they do is watch TV all day long. And if somebody says they like it, they like it, they go buy it without checking any of the numbers or anything. I mean, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people that bought this stock at seventy some dollars and they're wondering what the bleep. And uh, and to be to be honest, is it even really worth fifteen or, or sixteen? I don't know. I mean, probably worth, I'd rather buy it here than at seventy five. But I mean, what what are we doing, Brandon? I mean, should these things have come public in the first place? If they ever made any money? I, mean, I don't. Know. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking at the whole system as as some of these pockets of the market. Now, that, do I think the market's going down any lower? I don't know. But if every, if every day an individual stock loses eighty percent of their value, well, that's going to somebody somewhere has got a margin loan on Snap, right? That has to sell yep. something else today. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I don't think the people who run our place have any idea of the system and the dominoes of, that they set up. I mean, what, I mean how many, there's got to be people here that uh, the stack was 45 in March. I mean, there's got to be, a, be, I'm thinking there's a margin call someplace in here, aren't you? Oh, yeah, there has to be with, with the downturns like this. I mean, I don't know how you, I don't know how you fix this system. I, I mean, I would, boy, I tell you, I don't, I don't even know how you start. Right? Fixing the financial system to me is akin to fixing Chicago. I mean, I, you put you and I in that office. I mean, we got a list of a hundred things to do. Which one do we do first? <clears throat> you know, that's that, that's an interesting thing. You know, how do you fix a system like this? Because uh, you know, all of these systems usually look backwards to solve the problems of the past. And they don't adapt or see the, the the mismatch of the intentions and the regulations that they're writing for the present or the future. And that's to turn that around is is incredibly difficult. I think it comes down to uh, 
you know, I'm not going to say old people versus young people, but because that's not really the case. I think people don't necessarily have, in general, an inner an inner core of I'll call it morality that drives them. It's it's what everybody else is doing. You know, before I got on the board of the CBO, I don't know how many years before. It must have been a while because uh, I I started I was on the board in '92 was my first year, and they they became a place in '73. Well, somewhere in the '70s or '80s. Uh, Richard Ogilvy, the, the the governor was on the, the former governor was on the board, and I remember hearing a story. I, I don't even know what the issue was, Brendan, but CBOE was pulling some crap. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, and he said, "You know, I'm not only not voting voting against it, but if we decide we're going to do it, I'm out of here." He voted against him, and he got him walked out. Said, "I'm not going to be a party to it, even with a negative vote." I don't. When's the last time? You ever heard of somebody on a board doing that? I mean, it's when, you know Wendy Graham was what she was the uh, uh, what's the head of? Uh, I'm not going to say the dean of discipline of the board. What's the person who's what do they call the this, the position you're supposed to watch for malfeasance? Uh, the ombudsman? No, no, no. On a the, on the board, there's a the head of uh, what's the he's on all the compensation or he or she and they they've listened to all the stuff that's you know all legal pieces. There's somebody who's on the compensation, head of the compensation committee, and then what's the other one? It's the, not the, uh, governance, the governance committee. Head of, there's always a, uh, a subcommittee of a board called the governance committee, right? And the person, the head, who's, mm-hmm. head of that is supposed to watch out for any basically nasty crap anybody's doing, correct? And, and wasn't she like, yep. the, wasn't she, wasn't she that for Enron? <laughs> and what, and wasn't Big Jim Thompson that for, uh, uh, what's the, what's, what did you guy went to jail from, uh, Sun-Times? What name of that outfit? Those people came out smelling like... Oh, oh. um... How was Blackburn? It Ho- oh, was it Hollinger? Conrad Black was the guy. Yeah, and what was the name? Was it Hollinger? Name of the firm? Maybe. Yeah, I remember Conrad Black. I don't remember the name of the company. But yes, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, who's, where's the fox in the chicken house? Yeah, and all you know, those guys come out smelling like a rose. Didn't, didn't Wendy Graham become Secretary of Transportation or something afterward? Something like that, yes. Yeah, I, I, and, uh, who's uh, who's the, the current one uh, that was the head of? Uh, I don't know if she was head of the governance, governance committee on Wells Fargo board. It's uh, what's his name's wife, McConnell. Tells her name. Uh, oh, uh, Elaine Chow. Yeah, she was a, she was on well, when Wells Fargo was get. What are we, we are we kidding ourselves? I mean, this is. I mean, if you're anybody who actually has wants to do things the right way, you don't get anywhere, do you? Doesn't appear. No, you don't. It's very it's very difficult to break into those circles and to have your voice heard. But it also, you know, when you're when you're looking at at governance from both parties, just where are the morals in in government anymore? Even as black as they might have been fifty years ago, they're horrible now. They're they're so dichotomous and polarized that that I don't see anything happening on the government level to correct any of these problems. I I, I have sense. I don't know if this is just a. I'll say somebody would experience talking when when I was younger and people were no good nicks and there were there were sure were enough of them right it's not like it's not like we've invented anything new I I, I would say Brennan I would call those people I would describe them as being immoral now I think it's really really shifted to amoral I don't even think they know mm-hmm. and I think that's way worse <laughs> me, me, me. I agree with you. I mean, you get a guy like a guy like I'm gonna I'll say a guy like Trump. 
The man's not immoral. He has no idea what morals are, in my opinion. Nope. It's a, he absolutely, and yet, yet he has followers, some close to me, that I I don't see how anybody else picks that up. Now, but then again, their their justification, the people that are Trump people, and it's, it's really hard to argue, Brennan. I mean, uh, I mean, if, if you say something like the guy, the guy can't even talk without telling a lie. He doesn't even know. He can't tell one from the other. My my psychology buddy, uh, Doctor Blade, said that he uh, he would bet that if you gave Trump a lie detector test, it would be a straight line right across the top. You you couldn't catch him. He has no idea what he want to lie is. That uh, he said you would get a. There's a famous Seinfeld episode, or very common Seinfeld episode, where Jerry asked George Costanza, how do you beat a lie detector test? And George's response is, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah. And you're right. I think when you're, when you're looking at a lot of politicians, especially somebody like Trump, they believe everything they're saying if it relates to them, that they are perfect in every way. And because they believe it, they could beat a lie detector test. Well, and I, and I think that the, the response from people, and it's I, uh, somewhere back in the day, and you might have done this to me, Brennan, instead of arguing with people's opinions on stuff, I've tried to look and see why they, why they said this, the dumb thing I, th- I think they just said. And, and it's a whole different perspective. I mean, when somebody say would say they, uh, well, they don't, they don't care if he lies or something, something. The the reason why is because every single politician they've ever known in their life on any big issue, when, when Trump Trump will lie and tell you it's raining when it's not, you know. I mean, I don't know if anybody's mm-hmm. quite to that regard, <clears throat> but every in, ter- in terms of taxation, in terms of is your hospitalization going to still work? All every every big issue that every one of these guys has ever talked to anybody has been a lie in the, in their lifetime from the. Alderman to the mayor, we're not going to raise taxes. We do. You know, I mean, so in, in their opinion, he's no different. Even even though to you mm-hmm. and me, there's a clear difference. I mean, I, mean I, I think you could, I think you could make a bet with Obama or Bush, and if the Bears won, they'd at least know that they lost the bet. <laughs> well, Trump would tell you <laughs> the other team won. I mean, I think there's a difference. But in terms of in terms of governance, there's no difference. I mean. Joe Biden is considered, you know, the guy that, I mean, the, the guy, I mean, everything he says is wrong, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know, it's, it's, or pretty much everything. I mean, uh, I mean, the guy comes out and, uh, or he just can't explain himself. You know, I, I don't know what it is. But the thing last week about, uh, he and Bezos getting into it. Well, if you, if you work your way through it, about the, ta- the corporate taxation and inflation, if you, mm-hmm. if you work your way through the economics of it, which I'm not so sure Joe's capable of, what he said is actually fairly true, that if corporations paid more money, which they should, uh, and and the government did the right thing, which meant that they now have less money that they have to finance outside of the taxation system, and they told the Fed to print less money because now they're they're taxing people, would that make a difference in the inflation? The answer is yes, but I have... I don't think there's a second that Joe could put that on the blackboard, do you? No. <clears throat> and part of the problem is, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think he understands it. I don't think most of the political leaders understand the nuances the way that you do as an experienced person in the financial markets. But I also think that the explanation that you just gave would not fit in a soundbite on something like Fox or MSNBC or any of the programs. 
so it's too long and too complicated for people to listen and understand. Everyone wants a simple answer right now, and the politicians want a, a, a simple answer just so they can say that I said something, I'm taking the stand. You, you, you can't simplify some things to the point where uh, it's in a five-second, ten-second soundbite. Well, it's it should be with inflation raging like this. Somebody somewhere should be able to say, the reason why we have inflation is the government's spending money and they're just plain printing it. Well, that's that's not that long of a statement. True. <clears throat> Although, you know, again, I, that's a very simple way to say it, but I do think it's much more complicated than that, well, especially sure. where we are right now. I mean, one, one theory is that, you know, Stop buying things. If, if things are, are costing too much, buy the necessities, but don't buy things that you don't need. Yeah, but now, no, but you that's don't have... easier said than done. I mean, in concept, you do that, but you know, who's really going to do that? Who's going to stop going on vacation uh, because your airfare goes up 100 bucks after being locked down in a pandemic for a couple of years? So, I mean, the, the reality and the practicality of it don't match, but there are other solutions, and there are other reasons besides... One you just said for the cause of inflation. Yeah, but well, well, you just said, Brennan. We only got a minute here. It's somewhat showing your your your, your democratic leanings in the sense that I don't I don't think you have to you have to tell any family how to how to budget themselves. They know what they're doing. Why, why do we Why do we assume our people are idiots? I mean, when you say people are going on vacation instead of going to. The real islands, they might be going to Stony Island or Blue Island. It's still, a, I guess it's a vacation, but it's not the same one, right? All right. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, a simple example is uh, is taken out of context. But yeah, I, I, I understand yeah. the point you're making. And it's, not, it's not just, I think, Democratic leanings. I think there are other solutions that that are applicable here. Well, some um, of the stuff we, we got to dash, but, but, but some of the stuff is is very basic. What we're saying, we got to dash here. But if you spend twenty bucks more, like I go to Myers every Sunday, I put money money in the tank. If I if I if I spend twenty bucks more than I did a month before, either that twenty is not going into savings if I'm making enough where I, I put money in savings, or it's not being spent at the mm-hmm. Myers, or it's not being spent at the bar. It's it, it comes out of some other place. But I don't even... Do, do you think our people even understand... Absolutely. That? No, I, I agree with that completely. It comes out of some other place. And I, and I think people are... Uh, some of the people that I, I know that are going on vacation, I look at them and they, they go, hey, I bought the tickets a year ago, you know, type of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know... Hey, so are you, are you here or are you in Mich- Michigan? I'm in Michigan this morning. One of these days, maybe we'll actually see you, I think. Like in the office, you know. <laughs> just saying. Uh, uh, I, may be, I may be back in, in Chicago the next couple of weeks. Out in, uh, I, I have something later on this week, so I'll be back in the city in a little bit, uh, a little bit later this week. Love to see you. If I don't have a nice uh, Memorial Day, um, Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> SB Futures down 35 now. Ouch. NASDAQ Futures down 172. We'll be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howe. Eliani on the board. SP futures down 35. SA futures down 166. Not so good. Dow futures down 187. So we're giving up a big chunk of a big rally yesterday. We'll do, uh, how much of a chunk? Well, the Dow was up six, so we're now giving up a third of that. FSPs are up 72, so we're giving up roughly half of that. And uh, NASDAQ, which has been dicey, was only up 180 when everything else was up higher. Now today it's down 164, so almost all of that. Uh, so I don't think that's good. We could use two days in a row. Uh, DAX down 87.6%, FTSE down 8, call that flat. CAC around down 44.7. In Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 253, almost the same as they were up yesterday. Shanghai, however, down 75, 2.4, ouch. Uh, tech stocks dropping there. Uh, they're, um, they're thinking about a possible U.S. tariff cut on Chinese goods, but they're, not going, they're going the wrong way if that's what they're thinking. Hang Seng down 357. That's 1.7%. So big sell-off over there. Bonds 
uh, down four basis points, 2.81. Bund, uh, down three basis points, a point nine eight, because it was over one yesterday. Uh, Japan down one to point two three. Uh, oil, uh, up 26 cents, 110.55. Brent, up 35 cents, 113.77. So, so far it's pretty quiet in the oil market. Natural gas, I think these are all time highs. Up a dime, 884. It's gotta affect just about everything coming this, this next year. Our Bob, however, down a dime at 368. Uh, gold, up another 920, it's 1857. Still a long way from the 2000 it was a few weeks ago, but bouncing back from the 1800, so we're gonna, it's way up again, we'll see how far it goes. Silver up 20 cents, 2192. Copper down 5 cents, 429. And we've got Bitcoin, uh, 53, uh, bucks, but 29,288, so it was down a bunch during the day yesterday. Again, you know, as much as I'm not a fan of Bitcoin, if it, uh, keeps dropping, I think it's gonna cause some trouble, because there is some margin on this that, I don't know how the hell we managed to do, but we did. Uh, we, the collective we. Eliane, what do you have for us? Traffic, weather, sports? Looks like a crummy day. A little bit. Thanks so much, Tom. Uh, good morning, everyone. Currently 6.36 a.m. on May 24th. Let's start with sports. Uh, pretty much baseball. Uh, Cubs beat the Reds last night 7-4, and they'll be playing today at 5.40, so look forward to that. Diamondbacks beat Casey Royals last night 9-5 with another game tonight at 8.40, and White Sox will be playing the Red Sox tonight at 7.10. Looking at weather in Chicago, it is a pretty cloudy day, but thankfully it's not too cold. 51 with a high of 66, low of 50. And Phoenix currently sunny, 73 with a high of 99 and a low of 73. Bit of traffic this morning in Chicago. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between St. Charles and Central. Some light congestion westbound on 290 between Austin Boulevard and 17th Avenue. We have traffic eastbound on 990 between Lee Street and Lawrence. Uh, we have traffic eastbound on 94 between West Fullerton and Canal Port with a bridge closure between uh, Canal and Lumber. Sorry, scheduled to close at Surmac in both directions between Canal and Lumber from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And uh, moving on from there, we have traffic westbound on 94 between 76 and West Division. We have traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and South and the South Lakeshore Drive ramp. We have traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 18th and East Grand. And we have traffic southbound on Lakeshore between Chicago Avenue and East Balbo with a uh, road closure at, look at it here, at South Columbus Drive as they're setting up for a music festival that will be happening this weekend. And that's everything, Chief. Back to you. Are you guys playing in the festival? I am not playing that festival, but uh, thanks for asking. Are those, are those things good to play in? Festivals are fun. We do we do play a lot of festivals in, in Chicago, but some of these bigger ones, like this is a like uh, the festival that is happening this weekend is called Suenos, which is like for like all Hispanic music, and ah. we, we don't do that, so no, so we won't be playing that. You wouldn't be going to playing Rawhide like in the movie, like the Blues Brothers. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Joe likes both kinds of music, country and western. I hear. Yeah. Am I on, Chief? You're in, bud. Hey, well, I didn't know that uh, Eliane was in a band. Yeah, she's a big star. Ah, well. what, what 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 instrument do you play? I'm the lead singer. Really? Uh huh. I'm coming to Chi- I'm coming to Chicago. All right, sounds good, man. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, you know what today <laughs> is? You know what today is? Real quick. Hmm. The last New York City payphone is being taken out today. Really? That's scary. Wow. Talk about signs of the times, Joel. What do you make? I hope you uh, hope you had your puts and snap. Uh, well, first of all, Chief, uh, when do you think the old-time high was made in natural gas? I think it's this week, isn't it? 
not according to my 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 trade station. Okay. Uh, I have the, the rolling front month contract uh, back in July of 2008. I have it hit in 24.474. There was some kind of, was that some sort of a weirdo delivery spike or something? But there wasn't. I, I'm blind. I, I, I cannot remember, but it, it was up there. Yeah. I mean, it's a rolling front month futures contract, so um, it's probably pretty accurate. But uh, sure anyways, it it's... Uh, the level that it's at is the highest we've been in a long, long time anyways. But um, anyways, uh, boy, oh, boy, Snap brings down the market again. It's uh, these one stocks. Uh, Facebook did it a while ago. Um, I'm concerned. I'm not super concerned yet, though. Well, I mean, you have you have people that I think that the uh, people are in these stocks or the people, to be perfectly blunt, watch tv all day these people are on tv the, i mean the people tout this stuff and, and it, the, the scary part to me joel and, and correct me if i'm wrong this is starting to remind me a little bit of 2000 where every day we used to call it a trading floor we'd call it the trap door you know a stack is here and all of a sudden oops it's gone but i mean you look at the stack the thing's got a billion and a half shares outstanding and now at, at 15 or 16 dollars a share they're worth uh you know what, what's that 25 billion I don't see how this thing was ever worth a hundred billion dollars, one hundred and fifty. And who's kidding who? No, they, they never made a dime. No, I never made a dime. I mean, uh, we've talked about this over the years, Chief, and valuation, and and uh, uh, you know the fundamentals—they don't matter until they matter. And uh, you know, with rising inflation, what's going on in the market, they matter now. So a lot of people are getting, uh, you know, getting a wake-up call. Uh, I just. You know, it's hard for me to be, you know, uh, to really talk about these stocks. I'm an old man. I'm not on Snapchat. You know, I, you know, I just, I, I don't use these things. I don't really understand them. So to me, they really never had any value. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's symptomatic of what's going on in the market now. And, uh, you know, they want companies that make money, not companies that are going to make money or that lose money. Well, I also think that the, I'm going I'm to use the word that I probably shouldn't use. I'm going to use the word the, the the money is extorted out of these places by the upper management. I mean, you you you've, like Palantir, the guys up top have made two billion dollars. The company never made a nickel. How how do you make two billion dollars in a place where there's no money? I mean, just because you talk a bunch of people to buy the stock up, people buy it. I mean, every one of these things that falls every day, there's got to be some margin ramifications someplace. I mean, there's got to be a margin on this somewhere, uh, you would think. I mean, uh, I, uh, I, I mean, I mean, the weird part to me, Joel, is I mean, take Netflix, for instance. I mean, stack was 700 bucks. Now it's 185 Now, if you look at Netflix, you look at the numbers, if you if you never even saw the company before, okay, you'd, you'd look at it, you'd say, yeah, I don't know, 185 if I like it, maybe I might go to 200 I might want to buy some here. I'm not saying you should, but but the thought would never cross your mind that that stock was was worth seven hundred bucks. Same thing with this thing. If you and I looked at the numbers today, in, in, in Snap, I mean, I, I mean, we we never heard of it. We we, we just scooted in on the the day the earth stood still. We came in on a saucer and looked at the numbers. We wouldn't say, "Wow, this stack this stack really should be seventy five. That thought would never cross our mind, would it? No, uh, no, Chief. I mean, that's just, you know, uh, you know, different generations in the way, you know, people, you know, look, you know, look at the markets. We had, 
you know, and I actually, I don't know if I heard it on a commercial or, uh, I think I actually heard it on a commercial, but it said, you know, the world's going to change more in the next 10 years than it did in the last 100 years. And I think that, that, that you know, we've had some extraordinary circumstances happen, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, um, you know, a lot, a lot of things have happened, and COVID, and and now with the war, and just it's there's just changes, and they're just rap, you know, rapidly accelerating changes, and um, as a result of of the last two years, so it's going to take a long time to recover, but you know, you still always try and remain optimistic. Well, I think you have to, and you have to hope that somewhere along the line, and I, I can't even point my finger at anybody, but we've been in a in, in, in deep doo-doo in this country probably three times, and we've managed to luck out with a Washington, a Lincoln, and a Roosevelt. I don't see one of those guys anywhere near in the horizon, do you? Uh, you, you know, I'm praying for that too, God. I, I mean, and uh, I, I'm I'm just saying, you know, we need we need to get some young buck in there. I don't care, you're, you buck at you female, you know, male. I don't care, just. You know, it's, it's time for change, and that's on, that's that's analyzing both parties. I, but, I couldn't agree with you more. But how, how can you? How do you get a leader? Leader, I'm optimistic about. But how do you get a leader that that grew up in the current Washington system? I mean, I mean, there's there's the the lack of morality there. How do how do you, how does you know? Can you imagine if you took a guy like Dan Inouye or somebody like that? For those who don't know who that is, he was a uh, war veteran. He was the uh, senator yeah. from Hawaii. Hawaiian. I don't think the man absolutely had a moral fiber like I've never seen in office. I mean, he's the one who did the uh, investigation of the Iran Contra and everything else. I mean, he was a guy you just didn't bleep with because you knew he was he was straight as it could be. I'm going to say Paul Simon was the same way. There's, I don't. Who the hell would you put in that spot that doesn't have? Fifteen bad stock trades behind him, or a, or a wife or a husband that's making money off the off the crap going on there. Do we have anybody who is who's beyond approach at all anywhere? Come on, chief, chief, come on, man. Uh, you know the you know I don't have the answer to that question. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll tell it to you. I mean, you know what? What's the solution then if if, uh, if we don't have the answer to that question, Chief? I, I, that's what I'm, I'm just. I'm very nervous. I don't know. <laughs> As you can tell, I, I'm very I'm nervous. nervous. Yeah, now you're making me really nervous. I took the day off yesterday to be to go to charity golf, golf outing, and now you're making me regret I came back, Chief. Well, we had one good day to the market. We're up to the moon, and all of a sudden we're giving half of it back. Okay. Well, you know what? Just let me end on one thing. It's it. Today's an important day, right? We put that low in on Friday. We had to rebound. I'd rather see a constructive rally. I don't like these 70, 80, 90 point up days. I want to. See, I, want, I don't mind this down day. I want to see us build a base to rally off. And, you know, maybe that, that 390, 650, you know, well, that was low yesterday. The low on Friday. We've got to build a base and we've got to go up steady and we need a good CPI number. I so would, that's it. I would agree. I'm, uh, I'll talk to you guys. All right, buddy. You take care of yourself. SP Futures down 39. NASDAQ Futures down 189. Real quick break. We'll be back with Mr. Kenny Polkiri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? 
Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 403 2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. If you got the money, honey, I've got the time. We'll go honking now. We're gonna have the time. We'll make. Well, welcome to Stocks and Jocks. I'm tomorrow. Eliani on the board. SP Futures not on forty. NASDAQ Futures down 190, which is the NASDAQ. It's more than we were up yesterday, so that's not a good sign. Do we have Mr. Kenny? We do. I am here. How are you, bud? Waiting. You, uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I assume uh, you're going to sell your uh, boatload of put your butt and snap yesterday. <laughs> My God, how unbelievable is that? Did you see what happened? To yeah. the whole, and then to the whole sector, not only snap, but then it dragged the whole. It's dragging the whole social media sector down, and then and, and then it's just another reason for the anxious market to you know go into sell mode. Well, it's. I mean, uh, and Kenny, you and I can w- w- walk through it quickly, uh, but we're talking about a company that's lost, um, pushing a hundred billion in, in market value in the last y- year. They lost. Yep. Uh, they lost. Uh, well, if it's down seven bucks, it, it lost uh, ten billion dollars in market cap last night. There might be loans on it. There might be something. And if you look at it right now, you, s- you ask yourself, how the hell did this thing ever trade seventy? I don't. I don't. I never looked at the company's financials before. And, it seems to be there's a lot of that going around, Kenny. I mean, it's and I don't, yeah. and I'm not so sure any one of these things. I mean, would you look at this today and say, "Boy, I can't wait to buy this." It's going right back to seventy. I mean, when? No, absolutely not. It's not one of those names or one of those sectors that I haven't played it just because uh, I thought they were way overdone in the first place. I'm not so sure that they're completely being done repricing. Yeah, not either. Yeah. So you know, well, some people say, "Oh, the thing is not certain, so it's going to be a screaming buy." I'm not so sure that's the case. They could continue to go lower. 
Who was the guy? Uh, I know you're on a different station. Was <laughs> CNBC a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think they'll ever have him back. He said uh, some of his companies that were last year that were, uh, I'll pick a number, trading 100, and you look at their maybe forward P's during the COVID and stuff, he goes, now they're like 20 and the P's are worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> really? Hey, uh, did you see well, New York City? You're, you're, you're used to be home. Uh, last pay phone today. Just, I was just there uh, for a couple of days last week. What, what did I miss? What are you talking about? They're taking out the last New York City pay phone today. Oh, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that this morning. Did you? And, ever? That, and they're going to put it in the museum. They're going to put it in New York City, about some museum in New York City, to uh, to honor the fact that it was the last payphone. Did I'm you? Sure where that was, by the way. I wanted to go back and see where where that payphone booth was actually located. Did you ever back in the day? Did you ever go to a place called the Telephone Club? No, in New York City. Yeah, no. yeah. It was uh, somehow or another. Uh, the final New York City payphone near 7th Avenue and 50th Street, Midtown Manhattan. 7th Avenue and 50th Street. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Just near the Times Square. Yeah. Well, the, uh, actually it was like a three-lot phones in there, two or three. And Yeah. Well, this yeah. this club, I don't know, I was out there for some CBOE thing, and somebody said, let's go to this place, you know, because it wasn't a, a, a sanctioned event. <laughs> Who would have thought of the idea, Kitty? It's a really nice bar, good food. And in the front, they had two of the real old red wooden telephones, right? The, the yeah. walk-in ones. But not, yeah, the original. But not just that. They probably had seven or eight, shall we say, unusually attractive and well-dressed ladies. They just took turns yeah. walking in and out of the phone, like making the, like they were making a phone call. <laughs> <It wasn't, laughs> who, who would have thought of this? But it wasn't a strip place where they liked that. But just like, what are they doing? Finally, it, it you know, like. Who are these girls called? Finally, it dawns on you that that's the shtick of the place. It took me a while to figure yeah. that out. I just, I just thought they were all calling their dates or something. <laughs> no, I was wrong. It was, that was, <laughs> it was, I don't know where the hell to play. I, 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 I was, I was never leading the pack there, so I never knew where the hell I was. So I, I couldn't tell there's you where it was. You know what? There's something very nostalgic about traditional phone booths, like the, the phone booths that were completely enclosed, yeah. right, when we were kids. That they were foam booths on all the corners. There was something very nostalgic about that. Oh yeah. Then yeah. they turned them into these modern, more modern foam booths that you saw around the city that were all open and three of them, you know, next to each other. Uh, but yes, they finally took it out. They put it away in a, in a museum. So it is, I guess that's progress, right? I guess. Remember the? I never was there. I saw pictures of like the ones in Paris where there'd be like a hundred of them in a big circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I never. Yeah. So, Kenny, do what? What? Uh, I, you know, I, I keep looking at this as, uh, you know, 2000 ish or whatever, and yet every one of these little, little dams that break in one of these places, I just keep looking at the amount of, of, uh, money. I mean, this, even this stack is not a, not a big stack, but we're talking $100 billion off people's sheets, off somebody, off wealth, yeah. some, somewhere. It's, and, it's uh, incredible, isn't it? But I think that, that speaks to just how easy the money was and has been over the last decade, right? Because if you look across the spectrum, you'll see in all those names, right, they've all gotten club and Teletalk down 80%, Zoom down 70%. Now, Snap is down 80, nearly 80%. Um, but but th- it was all mo- all stocks that were way overpriced, that money was looking for a place to go, and they were looking for a reason to be able to explain those out-of-control prices. But, you know, when it's time to pay the piper, it's time to pay the piper, so all those names are the ones that get completely destroyed. And, and we're winning, right? You can see it happening right in front of your eyes. But I have, uh, 
when I talked to a lot of clients, you know, one guy, yeah, he's got 150 shares of Amazon, won't sell it. That's 175 grand in Amazon, Kenny, from the top. He's got, yeah, but but you see, Amazon is not one of those stocks like Snap or or even Facebook or Twitter, right? I think Amazon is a very real company. I think it's done amazing things, will continue to do amazing things, and it's not a name that, you know, if you're a long-term investor that you would ever sell, quite honestly, you'd probably buy more on weakness. If you're a day trader type or a trader type, yeah, you should have sold it, you know, weeks ago, but it is what it is at the moment. You know, he, I'm a, as a, uh, well, a guy who traded every day on the floor, <clears throat> I I don't I don't care if I bought it at four bucks. If it's down from thirty one hundred to twenty one hundred, I'm down a G. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, that, no, that's true. That's true. And if you look at it from the perspective of being kind of like a short term day trader, then you're absolutely right. But if you look at it as a long term, you know, look at that. Look at how Amazon has performed over the long term. I mean, it's amazing the returns that you have and the amount of money that you know you would have made in the stock. Well, but it gets. I mean, but it doesn't mean that they can't be. The uh, I, you know you and I know that the hardest the hardest thing to explain to an investor, especially when they listen to the, the touts on TV all day, is that yeah. there's, there's a big difference between love of company and love of stock price. Agreed. I mean, it's a it can be. You're right. I, I think Amazon is obviously a keeper, but it might be a keeper at a thousand or fifteen hundred or. Right. I mean, you know, it's. Well, you know, that's I guess I guess see that's going to come down to depend on. Where you really think it's going, right? I mean, if you think the thing is going from three thousand to fifteen hundred, well, then yeah, you might want to sell it. I think it's I think it's being overdone. It's being dragged down because people look at a raise. You know, when they get nervous or they get a margin call somewhere else, they had to raise money quick. I agree. Go to names like Amazon and Apple and, and, and General Electric and AT and T, where they can raise a fair amount of money very quickly, and that's what they do. So these names get this the arbitrarily dislocated, which is what I think actually creates the opportunity because I don't think it's going to fifteen hundred. Well, I mean, I just, at the end of the day, the question is when, and you, you see it happen in, uh, surely in Netflix, <coughs> where people one day said, it's just a retailer. This is not a, right. I mean, but I, I mean, it's some, someplace somewhere, and this, Kenny, this is one of the reasons why I find the, the, the business so fascinating, is all of yeah. a sudden it, it, companies just change how people think of them, and you can't predict it, and I'd love to find just one time where I could see it coming. I mean, what was the one the, the pre-Amazon uh, eBay? Right. It was everybody's darling. Everybody's darling. And all of a sudden, one day, eh, it's just another retailer, well, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, no, I I agree, but I do think Amazon doesn't fall in that camp, right? I think Amazon completely has transformed the retail industry, and I think it's completely transformed the way people live. I don't think eBay did that the I way agree. Amazon is doing it, or the I way agree. Amazon does it. Okay, and I, but I'm saying it's someplace somewhere, um, and yep. I think. If the stock's two thousand bucks, give yeah. me give me a number: eight years, ten years, twenty years, someday, somewhere. That the with two thousand dollars, these guys need to be making one hundred eighty bucks a year per share. And oh, by the way, sending me a check for forty. I don't see that anywhere anywhere on the horizon. Do you? Uh, no. If you look at it that way, I suppose you're right. I don't. But. Um, you know, it, it, you got to just go at this point. You got to just go with your gut and see where do you think Amazon is going compared to the other retailers. I think Amazon, out of all the retailers, is a place I want to be. I would agree. Right? I don't see that changing yet, so it's a place I want to be, and I'll continue to remain in it. I, I'm, you know what? I'm with you on a concept of relative value. I'm with you. Yep. I just, 
the the idea of and this is you and I have talked about this for as long as you've been at when you when you run the interest rates to where they were there is no such thing as relative value there's people that are in these stocks people that I talk to that are you know I think God a lot of them don't become clients Kenny they're 75 years old there's not a dime in the bank they got right they, I mean this this is wrong I mean from on, on many levels I mean if if people yeah. if if somebody who's retired has 30% of his money in the market and he happens to have a clunker like Snapchat and he loses, you know, 1% of his wealth. I mean, I guess you care, but it's not the end of the world. But if he says, I could never have a dime in the bank, I'm not making anything, and 90% or 100% of his money is in stocks that he talks about, that he hears people tout on TV, this is, this is a recipe for total disaster, I think. Well, of course, of course that's a recipe for total disaster, which is why, you know, which goes to the argument about why people like you and I exist, right? They'll guide it, they'll frame it, and to help kind of walk that guy off the edge so that he doesn't do that. Right. 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 It's okay to do it if you have a little account with mad money in it, and if you lose it, you lose it, and it's not going to change your life. But certainly not with money that's going to, you know, support your life, right? It's going to be properly allocated based on who you are and where you are in the life cycle. Well, I would say that if, if and then, boy, I sure hope this doesn't happen, but it's down some. But if all of a sudden you ever hear some headline of, of you know, Apple having a problem with China or getting caught in the China-Taiwan yeah. thing or something, that stock opens yeah. up a hundred hours. That's not a day you want to be in the market, Kenny. I mean, it's just no. so many people, their no, whole right. life is in that stock. Right. No, no, I agree. And that that's the risk, right? But I guess you do the best you can to protect yourself against uh, events like that and make sure you're well diversified. Yeah, I would agree. So uh, what are you doing for the holiday? Anything good? Uh, actually, uh, no, we're here. We're going to be in Florida. I'm running around. i got a bunch of things going on. I'm certainly have a barbecue and do that and be with some friends, but no big plans to go anywhere. I'm going to try and see if I can talk the uh, significant other into scooting down to Ogden Dunes. Kenny, I don't yeah. usually do stuff like this, but it's this little tiny community, and they do a Memorial Day service, and for whatever reason, it seems like the smaller towns take a bigger hit on people, people they yeah. know dying in wars than the cities, and... I, mean, I, yeah, and, I agree. With and you. you go down there, and there's two or three people that have like lost people, and they have a couple of guys that are veterans, and they give a couple speeches. And you know what? I don't mind doing that a couple hours a year. I mean, if I could. no, I no, no, I absolutely agree with you because I think that is true. The smaller communities do have much more, a, much more of a sense of Memorial Day than the cities do. Can you take care of yourself as usual? Good stuff, buddy. SP Futures down forty five. Nasdaq Futures down two ten. We're back, Mister Mister Professor Helsner. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Hello, Homer Face, Dr. Jackson. I'm Tom Out, Eliani on the board. SP Futures down 41. That's as low as we've seen it. NASDAQ Futures down 197, which is more than the cash was up yesterday. We had a nice rally yesterday. I thought maybe we'd get two days in a row. I adjusted a little bit, but I kind of left uh, my people a little long here, and uh, this is not where you want to be long. Fortunately, I'm not as long, but uh, can't we get two days in a row, Eliani? What's the story here? I don't get it. Do we have a professor? I'm here. How are you, bud? <laughs> What's a good word? You know what? Uh, how do you have, uh, how do those puts you have in Snapchat work out? Good. I hear you had a bunch of puts. What's that? I hear you had a bunch of puts in Snapchat. That worked out. <laughs> nah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying you you got your finger on the pulse of the economy out there with all your 15 people working for you, digging out digging out the numbers for you all day long. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. I just, how come the guys like at the University of Chicago all, all had all these like kind of gnomes doing all this work for them? You know, and, uh, guys that wanted to publish their own stuff, and at first they'd help the other guys do stuff. I mean, I mean, uh, I how do you? Let me ask you a question. When when you see something like Milton Friedman wrote the uh, Monetary History of the United States, hell, every one of those charts or graphs in there must have taken somebody a month. How, how do you? How did those people even do that kind of research in those days? You know, honestly, I don't know. They they must have had a team of researchers. I mean, it's like in the 1970s or earlier, you probably had a team of bookkeepers because computers were just not the way they are today. Uh, statistical programs are nowhere like what they are today. So for him to do that, he, he had to have a team. He had to have a huge team of people working with him. Because I, I, I just use... Uh, Excel and Stata and R and Python and my research and I think that's might be the way I can remain productive even though I got all this teaching to do. I don't have 
any graduate students under me helping me out at all. So I have to do it all, you know, which I don't mind because I think it uh, helps become helps me become stronger, right? If I'm not if I'm relying on people to do work for me, I don't really understand the data as much because I'm knee deep and dirty in it. So I, I like where I'm, I'm at. I, I just wish I got a little bit higher pay because. The inflation is really killing us. Oh, God, yeah. Well, but at some point, a guy like you needs somewhat of an entourage. Just saying. Well, I have, I have, I have my uh, colleagues on the Internet that I've never met. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you want to be like Muhammad Ali. I read your articles. When you, I want to be like Muhammad Ali. When you walk in, there's ten guys behind you, you know, doing whatever you want them to do. I mean, this type of thing. Bill Gates, I understand, when he goes somewhere, he has... Somebody tastes everything that he orders before he tastes it, so he doesn't know he's poisoning it. <laughs> well, if I was Bill Gates, I'd probably do the same thing. <laughs> God. Hey, uh, a question for you. When uh, we start talking about these numbers and you see these individual stocks dropping, you know, $100 billion, $200 billion, $500 uh, I, I, I've never seen, I've seen this happen before. Um, I also saw it in 2000. I mean, it was, well, certainly in, in when I first started, of course, nobody had any money in the market at that time. Everybody was money was in the bank, but uh, I don't. You, you sit there. You wonder when this when this money just kind of disappears. It's it's coming off somebody's sheets someplace, or if it's held by uh, uh, a lot of it's held sometimes by these ETFs. But even then, the ETF goes down. I mean, the, the, when when you start seeing hundreds of the, those numbers, sound like not that much. When they start adding them up, I mean, if you start looking at the money. Lost in Nvidia, the money's lost in Apple. Even though Apple had a big rally yesterday, but from the top, I'm not talking about was it a good investment ten years ago. The answer is yeah. Uh, but from the top, when you start taking these kind of valuations off, and you just will slice a hundred billion in this one company, and the next the next day we got a company that's got you know ten billion shares outstanding and it's down two bucks. Well, there's another twenty billion we'll slice off here. I mean. How, how, Knowing the the, the the margin loan stuff, and we, I don't think we're at records or anything, so it's not like it's crisis. But somewhere, how do you how do you pick the inflection point there? Hell, where you say now we got a real problem because the idea. I mean, even here, once in a while, I hear somebody dumb enough to say, "Well, people are selling the stock; they've got money." And, no, no, they don't. They might have some cash, but their wealth is is you know one fifth of what it was two weeks ago. I mean, at, at what point can we figure out that there's a problem? I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know how the, what, where would that show up? The Fed should know. I mean, the big firms probably know. But, I mean, you and I, how do we know that the next 100 or 200 billion is, is all of a sudden, wait a minute, everybody's got to start selling our Apple and everything else, right? I mean, where, where do you, where do you pick up on that info? Man, I, I tell you, I think, uh, just the way they've been doing things, just to, I mean, I, Honestly, I thought I had it figured out in 2008. But then the Fed rolls out this policy of paying interest on reserves, which is a price floor on the, on the price of reserves. Yep. And it just went out the window. Cause, you know, before you could kind of tell when the Fed was going to go easy, right? Cause I, I, for about a year and a half, I was in pretty good time in the Fed's, you know, actions. But after they put in that, Interest rate floor. I've had a hard time trying to figure out what's going on, and I think the only people that really know are people who are in the revolving door of the Fed in the private sector. I think they're the only ones that really know what the Fed's going to do. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's very transparent, and it's really hard for regular people to figure out what the Fed's doing. Why, why is, um, I'll use the term, why have guys like you, why in academia, and I ask this question kind of for a reason, well, I try to ask every question for a reason, but uh, go figure. Why are guys like you, why, is, why did academia not pitch a major league bitch when these guys stop giving out weekly numbers? Because it's not like they're not producing them. Yeah. It's just, we're not getting them. Somebody is. <laughs> I mean, am I dumb enough to think that they all of a sudden fired everybody that came up with the weekly numbers? They're only giving them to a select few. And I, I think, yeah. in the South Side term, that sucks. Yeah. Well, you got you got to pay for information, right? And I think the more you can hide what you're doing, or the more likely that that's going on, the more likely you know that the people inside the mechanism are messing it up. That's I mean, they're just trying to hide it. They're trying to cover the tracks, in my opinion. Well, I because I, I I have a hard time figuring out what that's going to do. I mean, it, it can raise interest rates. Right, it can raise interest rates with dictates, but it can still buy, you know, trillions of dollars in securities. And it can raise interest rates because it has its binding floor on the price of reserves. So it's very hard to figure out what they're going to do. Well, my, uh, my my buddies at the Fed before COVID, because uh, I haven't seen ones, <laughs> they haven't been at work since COVID. Well, I guess they're working from home. It's unfair to say they haven't done any work, but. Let's just say they haven't been around the Fed building much. Um, one guy, he told me that I didn't. Did, do you know what M zero is? I have no idea what M zero is. I think you mentioned it one time. Yeah, it's a well. There's I think no, it's that that's that turnover in uh, lending overnight, right? It's what well, there used to be M one. Well, there's no M one anymore. They yeah. combined M one with M two. Right? Well, M one's become M two right before the pandemic. Yeah. M one, they just they just. Dumped a bunch of stuff in M1 to make it M2, right? Yeah. Well, well, just for what... All right, help me with this. M1, historically, has been cash in circulation, demand deposits, and something else you could get, like, right away. Was it... Uh, what was the third thing that was in there? They were like traveler's checks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was... It was yeah. Like, a, a savings account wouldn't be a securities account, even though you can take money out. None of that would be considered uh, M1, yeah. right? Well... M zero is the is the amount of money kicked back to the Fed overnight that they're paying interest on, and at one, yeah. at one point they had so much money in the system that we couldn't even really absorb it all. That M M zero is bigger than M one. One of my guys told me. Wow. Yeah. I, mean, it's, it's, I know we were kind of over some people's heads here, but we probably shouldn't be because I mean, when these guys talk to you, you should you should sort of know they're lying. They're lying to you, right? Is that, is, that a, is that a nasty way of putting it? You know, I mean, when they when they come up with a bunch of BS, you, I mean, I hope people listen to the show at least can say, wait a minute, it sounds like a lot of BS. But I think the, the money supply growth, that's why even uh, Biden with his uh, his little, his little uh, hissy fit with uh, Bezos regarding corporate taxes and inflation, he's not wrong if you, if you follow it all the way through, right, Hal? I mean, if if the the uh, government did not have to finance as much out of thin air because they didn't have the money. If they had, let's say, a hundred billion dollars more in corporate taxes, okay. Now they're still spending more than they're taking in, but it's a hundred billion less. They're going to ask the Fed to print for them, correct? So to the extent that it yeah, is, yeah, but, but government spending is is 
Isn't it like four trillion now? Four or five trillion a year? Oh yeah, I mean, I was just using a number, but no, actually yeah. the the deficit is down from uh, three and a half trillion to like uh, one point six or seven. It's going to be this year. So when they say they've cut the deficit in half, they have from something incredibly abominable to just abominable. This is my little bunny rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love them at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, but I, I have a, a real. A, I don't. I don't know where the, these guys are getting these numbers, or if they're just BSing us. I don't know if you listen listen to the. Well, I have to watch the stuff on TV all day long. That's what I do for people. Um, I've had a couple of bank guys. Everybody is on this idea that the consumer is in better shape than they ever have been. Now, first of all, well, every, I think people are saying that. They're making six-figure salaries because everybody else at the median or below the median is not experiencing that, I guarantee you. Well, I guess what I'm, I'm saying... I'm at the median right now. I'm at the median right now because of inflation. Oh, I went well above the median eight years ago, but I'm at the median now. Well, not only that, if, if, you, sur- if you succeed in getting this raise you, you've got coming, let's just say, for, I don't no, don't care. Well, I, I hope you make a lot because I like you. But, I mean... If, but if you get a raise, I'm guessing that you're going to be like in the Reagan era. You're going to jump a tax bracket. Actually, I, I probably won't. Well, okay, so you're, you're above it. But I'm saying if you about one percent this year. Okay, but my point is, if you it, there, there's a lot of people, if you if you go from uh, I can't forget this question I need to ask you, but I'm, let's, let's go down this tangent for a bit. If if you're a, if you're a guy making forty eight thousand. And I, I think these are still the numbers. Are tell me I'm wrong, Hal. But the, the the theme of what I'm saying is I think still true. If you're making that forty five, forty eight thousand range, you can get help, I believe, on your insurance. There's a lot of things, programs. If you know what you're looking for, if you're paying for your own stuff, you can get some quote help with. If all of a yeah. sudden inflation is ten percent, and you miraculously get this ten percent raise to go with it, which nobody's getting. So say you go from 48 to 53, or a little less than 53, because it wasn't total 50. All of a sudden now, you you probably have jumped a tax bracket, and you've probably jumped into where Obamacare, you don't get any help there. That's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> if you go if you go from 40, if you go if you go above 40, you're going to get a tax bracket of 22 percent. Yeah, from 12, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's. Everybody, everybody, don't pat himself on the back about, uh, you know, what, what happened in the in the last inflation, big inflation, and again, the reason why I was so involved in it is that's what I did for a couple of firms. So I'm not, I'm not expecting everybody, even you, to know the nuts and bolts bolts about it because that's what I did not all day, but one day a week. And the amazing part was, if you started out in 1975 when this first started. And you went all the way to 81 and you worked for, say you were an auto worker and you had a cost of living increase in there, which was never, I don't believe, you know, I'm speaking out of memory here. I know at Pullman it was, it was never 100%. You know, if the CPI went up 1%, I think the union guys got a, I think you might have got 75% of that or 80 or 70, somewhere in there. Yeah. You didn't get the full, uh, one. So the, uh, but even so, you might have been in, if you made, if you started out the whole game, Making like eighteen grand a year, and it's by the time this all ended, you're making twenty five. You were probably up what four or five tax brackets. There were so many tax brackets in those days. Yeah. So the, the big yeah. winner, the big winner on this was government, right? As yeah. they always are. 
But anyway, back to the original question. These guys, even a couple bank guys talk, oh, people's balances are... Pre- I, I, you know, I saw that in this usdebtclock.org, if you go back to stuff, and they have savings per family. Now, this is a, this is a mean now, so this includes the heavy heavyweights. You go back... To yeah, that, that, if, you, if you compare it to the median, I think you get a drastic... Oh, I do too. But I'm saying if, yeah. if, you, if you go back several years... That number was around seven or eight thousand. It was low, or fifty five hundred, six thousand. But I, I watch this like every couple of weeks. I go to this thing just so I can sicken myself. Uh, last year, when the when all those checks were hitting for PPP and all the other stuff, I mean, everyone was getting the money in the mail and all that. That number ballooned. I think a lot of it because <laughs> some people own these companies that got these PPP checks. Uh, I'm not saying that they cheated to get them. They didn't, but maybe did or didn't deserve. This number ballooned to fifty five thousand from from last wow. six, but since last year it's gone down every single week. It's back down to thirteen two from fifty five. Yeah, it's just worked off. Right? It's, yeah, it's worked off dramatically. So how how are people still getting on the air saying that there's this massive amounts of fa- saving? According to this number that I'm looking at, I don't know I don't know where these guys are getting or where they're getting there. Sure looks to me like it's being burned off real fast. Yeah. Well, when you look at the average, of course, when you get these huge massive loans, you're going to put away, sock away for a rainy day, right? But as inflation goes up and your your margins shrink, that it gets worked off, right? And I guarantee you, the people that I know, we didn't have that kind of savings. So th- this average is heavily weighted to the people that have means. Right. Everybody else, I don't know of anybody that got that kind of money. Well, the, uh, kind of savings. Well, have you read, uh, were you the one who sent it? Somebody, I, th- I don't know if it was you. Somebody sent me something that said, uh, there was a study that the, the mean family or some huge percentage of the population that if, if they needed to write a check for, not credit card, people have wealth and borrowing power, but if you had to write a check for 1500 bucks for a new transmission or uh, emergency room visit or something, most people didn't have the means. Yeah, they did, yeah. You know, I mean, it just goes to this idea, like, in, in New York City. Like, I think about 3,000 families or something, a small number of families pay about 80% of the income taxes in New York City. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's just because you have these really, really wealthy people, right? And that, that right there really skews these averages, right? If, if my triplets walk into the jazz locker room, the average goes down substantially, and it doesn't mean people are shorter, right? No. <laughs> you guys are a little shorter than the Jazz. <laughs> well, they are. They're yeah. But if, if they walk into the locker room, the average height of the people in the locker room is a lot lower. It doesn't mean people are shorter, right? And that's just going on with these averages. Well, the you, ones- you got mega wealthy people, and, and they're socking away these, these benefits for a rainy day, and it's just being worked off now. And a lot of that, that, that stuff did not trickle down to people no, I know. No. The people I go to church with, people I meet and bump into at the stores, I would, the Uber drivers that I, I take rides with. I would I would like to be one of the the trickleers once instead of the trickle-ee, because I don't think it, ever, <laughs> it ever, never quite gets to me. And I, I'd be a really good trickler. I'd, I'd buy everybody, everybody, I'd go to the Bass Pro Shop, and I'd say, Bass Boat's around. I mean, you know. <laughs> instead of instead of me buying a yacht, I'll buy everybody in a place a bass boat. What's the difference? I'd rather everybody with a bass boat than me with a yacht. I'm not a sale. 
<laughs> nor do I want to. <laughs> but but the, 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 if you put these three numbers together, and this is what you shouldn't do if you want if you value your sanity, you know, on this on this page, savings per family, thirteen thousand two twenty one. It's per family now. Personal debt per citizen, sixty nine thousand. So what is that? Five times. And debt per taxpayer uh, from the from the federal government. We'll just say debt per citizen because we're going with, with citizen. Ninety one thousand bucks. So that puts, on average, everybody in the whole one hundred and seventy grand. Yeah. That that. <laughs> I mean, granted, people have wealth. I guess you had stock that was but had wealth but less than a few weeks ago, right? And I, I'm very worried about this housing market. <laughs> Whenever you get to the point, yeah, we'll have wealth in our house right now, but uh, maybe not in a year. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't. To me, it's 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 worse than 2007 in terms of yeah. the ability of the mean income to to uh, afford the mean house. Me, I'm sorry, median income to afford the median house. I I don't know how we get out of that pickle. Especially with rates going on. Well, we have a serious Rube Goldberg machine. I don't know if I mentioned this in a while, but I, th- I probably mentioned it to you three or four years ago, but a Rube Goldberg machine is a machine that is really complicated to do a really simple task. And I think the Federal Reserve's monetary policies, you know, their interest on reserves, um, their ability to still buy and sell securities while they're raising um, the rate, it's just a big, massive Rube Goldberg machine, and the more complicated it gets, I think the worse it's going to be, and the worse it's going to get. And I, I say, I, you know, I, I don't know how you can back out of that. I, I don't know how you can do it. Well, I, I, I mean, think, you, I think, you raise your interest rates, and then yet you're still purchasing securities, right? It, it's kind of counterintuitive to all that all that money and banking that people have taken throughout the years, right? Throughout the decades. Yeah, I've always, you know, we always thought they went together, right? You would you reduce the money supply to increase interest rates. Well, you don't do that anymore. You can still raise interest rates and buy securities at the same time. Well, it's a, and it just it it comes down to I want to learn how to swim, but I never want to get wet. I mean the yeah. I mean the uh, the idea. <clears throat> I mean, look at take it from square one. Uh, now, let's see. Why would you and I in, in this day and age? If I lent you a hundred bucks, the interest, the inflation for the next year is going to be ten percent. We can argue back and forth whether in administration whether it's going to be eight or twelve, but let's just say ten. Well, I, I well, assume the, the government's being honest. Yeah, but but I, I so in other words, for me to even have the, the transaction being even, I need I need to get one hundred and ten back from you. That's before there's even an interest charge. So if there's any yeah. kind of interest. And you know you have to pay me to use my money, which is normal, right? I'm not saying it's so. Say the real rate of interest is two percent, two and a half, like it has been for centuries, or three. I, I should expect back from you in a normal transaction. I should expect right now 113 bucks a year from now. We're not talking about 30 year rates and anticipation. I don't care how you anticipate. The next year is going to be 10 percent, right? I mean, it, come on. If you if you don't think so, there's something wrong with you. But the uh, maybe eight. You could argue for eight, but you're not arguing for zero. So the Fed says, well, that's interesting. We want to pour all this money out there and, and give people all this stuff, but we don't want, and we know it's going to create inflation, but we don't want interest rates to go up. So every time this guy, Hal or Chief, decide they're going to sell a corporate or a, a U.S. bond 
that's that's at three percent, which is the worst investment ever in the history of mankind. We're going to make up money and buy it from him and jam it right up his ass every time he tries to sell it, right? Which is essentially is what happened. When you, I mean, it's been obvious to me for five years that these bonds got to come down. Hell, try and sell them. You run over by a steamroller, yeah. and a steamroller's name is the Fed. You can, now, now, just recently, they've started to come down, like the last six months. But I tell you, I know because I've been early. I've, I've been, I've tried to short those things for five years, and every I made money maybe twice. Thank God, I made more when I made money than I than when I lost. But I mean, every single time when you when just when these guys came out and they had some meeting and they talked about inflation, just when you thought it was you were right this time and you were going to really. The money's going to come home to Papa. The next day, these guys would increase the money supply, pour money back in the system, and rally these bonds up. They've been what they did is they ran over you because I mean, five years from now ago, if you and I would have sat there having a beer, going, for God's sake, these, these long-term rates are two percent, inflation six. This is this is what what's going on here? We're, we're going to see some sort of a uh, what's it, come to equilibrium. What would you a better term earlier? We're going to see some sort of a, a, a move here. It never happened because all he did was manufacture more and more money and, and roll right over guys like you and me, right? Yeah, well, they have a huge they have a huge amount of unemployed reserves, which are excess reserves. But I've renamed it unemployed reserves because, again, they have this binding price floor on the price of reserves. And I think in this environment, what ends up happening in order for people to make a return that exceeds the rate of inflation, it induces them into moral hazard of just take it on debt to buy yeah, well, bonds to get a return, right? I mean, and that's even a, that's that's an even a more a more unstable system, right? You have to you have to go you have to go into debt and you use some you know a little bit of cash and a lot of debt to buy these assets so you can get a return that's greater than the rate of inflation. Well even in the mid seventies I think that explains yeah. a lot of the margin buying. Yeah well even in the mid seventies uh, they didn't. They didn't try when the inflation ran up. They ran the interest rates up. They didn't say, "Oh no, we're just going to keep making money and, and and keep burying the guys that try and try and get their ten percent." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean a whole different program. SP futures down forty five. Nasdaq futures down two sixteen. We come back. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about the you know some of the worldwide implications of some of these these price hikes because they're really. They're going faster and faster than people ever thought. We'll be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separate the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Lower Mopex, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. The board SP futures now down 42. Has their futures down 206. Atlanta, my uncle, who's been dead since the late 70s, once told me the way we're going, we're gonna, we're gonna screw up sex. <laughs> now, now monkeypox is being spread by sex. We need, we need this now. What, what is monkeypox? <laughs> this is the new disease. Where have you been for the last week or two? I just heard I, about it a week ago. And I guess sudden, not having sex. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all, it's all over the place. Well, I, I guess it's all over the, the gay communities. Oh, but interesting. But that's how you, well, I guess it can be spread by touching, but obviously if your sex, there's some touching there, at least. You do it right, there's some touching, I would think. Anyway. Well, then I'm safe. Yeah. <laughs> well, for a while, maybe I, you know, but I'm saying, uh, uh, now all of a sudden it's, it's sexually transmitted. I, I, Fine. I, I, I just, yeah, just what we need, right? <laughs> <laughs> SP futures down, uh, I said, uh, 41, NASDAQ futures down 204, Dow futures down 231, or in Europe we got sell off here as well. Not, maybe not as bad. DAX down 119.8%, FTSE down 6, that's, let's call that flat. Gek around down 51.8, so down but not, not hugely down over there. Asia, on the other hand, uh, much more so. Nikkei down 253, that's 1%. Uh, Shanghai down 76, that's 2.4%. Other tech, stra- tech stocks have dropped because of Snapchat has taken a whole bunch with it. And that's, uh, yeah, Snapchat has taken a whole bunch with it. Hang Seng, it's a big one. Down 357, it's 1.8%. So they're, they're down all over the place there. This nice rally we had yesterday. Dow was up 618, uh, 2%. S&P up 72, 1.9%. NASDAQ up 180, 1.6. It's, we said a NASDAQ has more than disappeared. Uh, Dow about halfway and, uh, S&P maybe, uh, two-thirds of the way. So not, not good. Uh, bonds, uh, 10 year down four basis points, 2.81. Uh, bond down one basis point of 1.0, above one though, 1.007. Uh, Japan down one at 0.23. Oil, uh, up three cents, 110.32. Brent up 14 cents, 
113.56. Natural gas down three cents, 871. Our Bob down 11 cents, 368. So it might be a little relief at the the pump because we usually are 70, 80 cents over our Bob, which you put in the mid fours, but it's, we're over that here. So maybe it'll come down some. Uh, gold up 790, 18.55. Silver up 17 cents, 21.90. Can we possibly have two off days in our own gold? I don't know. Uh, copper down seven cents, 426. And a Bitcoin down 33 bucks to 29,201. So it's down from the over 30 yesterday morning. It was down during the day. Eliani, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Thanks so much, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Currently 7.35 a.m. on May 24th. Uh, let's start with sports. Let's talk baseball. Uh, Cubs beat the Reds last night 7-4, and they'll be playing tonight um, against each other five at 540. Uh, Diamondbacks beat the Royals last night 9-5 with a rematch at 840 tonight. And the White Sox will be playing the Red Sox tonight at 7-10. Looking at weather in Chicago this morning, currently 54, cloudy with a high of 66, low of 50. And Phoenix, Arizona, currently sunny, 72 with a high of 98, low of 70. Uh, looking at traffic in Chicago, the longer the short of it is, please go home. Um... So right now we have traffic eastbound on 290 between Kingery all the way to downtown approaching the 290 I-94 construction intersect. Traffic westbound on 290 between Western and 25th. Intermittent traffic um, northbound on 294 between Route 50 and Highway 34 and between Irving Park and Willow. Um, uh, with an accident at West Lake Avenue. We have intermittent traffic southbound on 294 between... Hang on, this actually changed on me. So let me actually get the updated report here for 294. Uh, looking at 294 South, we have traffic between um, Half Day Road all the way to Chase Avenue with an accident at, I'm sorry, multi-car collision closure between Willow and Central. And we have a bit of traffic more on the southbound side of the 294 between the I-55 connector and the I-20 connector. Uh, moving on from there, we have traffic eastbound on 94 between Lake Avenue and Canalport. We have traffic westbound on 94 between East 130th and Willow Road with a bridge closure at uh, on Sturmac Road between South Canal Street and Jefferson. That will be active from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. today. We have traffic eastbound on 90 between Lee Street and Lawrence. Traffic westbound on 90 between Lawrence and the 294 North Tri-State Ramp. Uh, we have traffic northbound on 57 between West 119th and the 94 East Ramp. We have traffic northbound on 55 between Route 45 North and, so- and the South Lakeshore Drive ramp. We have traffic southbound on 55 between South Damon and Harlem. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 47th and East Grand. And traffic uh, southbound on Lakeshore between Michigan Avenue and East 18th Street with a road closure at South Columbus Drive as that area is preparing for a Spanish music festival this weekend. That is everything. Back to you, Chief. Where, where is it clear? Nowhere. Absolutely, quite literally nowhere. <laughs> That's just uh, a simple I'd turn back if I were you. Plus, you can't even go play golf today. It's supposed to rain all day, right? Yeah, it's supposed to. Well, it's actually going to probably rain more a bit tomorrow. I think it's just cloudy and gloomy today, but it's going to rain tomorrow and the day after. Gloomy like the market, Hal. What do you think? Hmm. <laughs> well, it's, uh, hey, I, I'd rather have it about 72 degrees than 95 degrees oh, yeah, yeah. in dry heat. Hell yeah. So, oh, yeah. 100%. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Well, how do uh, well, ninety five with ninety five percent humidity? Yeah, I'm looking here. Uh, this page, I guess, I never bring up. I'm going to say, if I do my count, total debt in the U.S. is going up a million dollars every ten seconds. How? Uh-huh. Every this is total debt. This is uh, 
It's $90 billion, $90 trillion, you're told that. Household business, state and local governments, financial institutions, and the federal government. He's watching this stuff spin. It, it's, it's, it's maybe every eight seconds. It's, it goes up by a million bucks. Have you ever, in all the economic history that you've, I mean, pretty much there's a lot of, comp- a lot of countries and a lot of societies, you know, we've, we've, there's nothing new in the world, right? It's, I mean, uh, in terms of, uh, so, have you ever seen anybody down this far on the, on the debt of meter and somehow somebody just said we're going to go another direction and somehow pulled everybody's head out of their behind and something like this where we could actually fix this and, and what in, in 10 years from now the, the savings per family would be a lot higher than the debt per family and those kinds of things. I mean, is there any way to, that you can see to turn this bus around? I don't, I don't see any, very few families not, not that there's a few, there's more than a few, but uh, countrywide, I think, honestly, are making 100 bucks a week, living nicely on 80 and putting 20 in, in, in savings. I, I just don't see that anywhere, hell do you, except for the top, you know, 1% or 2%. Well, you know, I think the saving grace we have is that we're still the reserve currency, right? If we lose that status, if people dump the dollar, which I don't know if that's going to happen because... It's bad here. It's probably worse everywhere else, right? Well, that's so. Well, that's sort of what I want to to, to, to lead you yeah. lead you down into that on that path. When we talk about uh, gas prices here being you know a, a pain, of course here we do more distances like than they do in Europe. But uh, how exactly are we going to uh, when when people aren't eating in on the Sinai Peninsula and all these places that have problems to start with? When there's refugees all over the place, and all of a sudden the the refugee camps, instead of five hours a day per person to feed them, it's now eight hours a day. Where exactly is all this money going to come from? You know? And if and if not, where's how, who's going to deal with all the unrest? Yeah, I, I think we're setting ourselves up for some massive revolutions throughout the world. I mean, I, I don't see it. I don't. I don't. I don't have a rosy picture out there. I mean. You got fertilizer prices that are way up, what, 300% over the course of a year. Um, you have the FDA shutting down a plant in Michigan. With, we, we, we only baby formula here. Babies are starving in the United States. You go across the border in Mexico, and the shelves are filled with baby formula. The United States is having to ask Europe for baby formula, and we're, we're airlifting it into the United States. I mean... Talk about surreal, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to write a book called Pharaoh's Famine, and it's going to be all the economic policies that create an artificial scarcity, government policies that create artificial scarcities that push prices up demand curves. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go industry by industry. When I start writing this book, I'm going to go industry by industry, and it's going to illustrate how government policies create famines. And they create famines, and we've learned this from 3,000-year-old Jewish people, create famines because the leaders fear losing power. It doesn't matter if it's Putin, it doesn't matter if it's Biden, it doesn't matter if it's Trump. They all fear losing power, and because they, they, they live in fear, they create policies that, I believe, create the scarcity that drive prices up. And all you got to do is look at, for example... My brother Rod needed his teeth replaced a few years ago. 
And instead of paying $12,000 in Clarkston, Washington, or Lewis and Idaho, he drove down to Yuma, Arizona, stayed in a hotel for a week, and then walked across the border, and he got his uh, implants replaced for $1,200. That's a factor of 10. Yeah, yeah we're not even right? close. That, that's, close. What start, that's what started me down this road, that you know Joseph wanted out of jail. In order to get out of jail, he had to feed the fears of the pharaoh. And they just taxed the crap out of grain for seven years. And by, by the end of those seven years, farmers had nothing left to plant, which created the famine, right? Yep. So I, I am convinced that government creates scarcity and famine. And the only way to change it is to restore federalism in the United States. We don't have a federal system, right? We have top-down do it our way or it's the highway, right? That's what we have right now. Well, there's a there's there's always going to be a, a, a push in any, anything that's that's economic. Um, if if you're a a, a a trumpeter of of free market capitalism, which is what I am, okay. And uh, uh, you know, I had 20 years in the OEX pit where there's 350 people fighting over every trade. I don't think there's any more pure capitalism anywhere. Maybe, maybe in the farming. No, it's, it's all mercantilism. Yeah, it's but now. I think I think it's all mercantilism. But now we have four or five people that have talked our buffoon regulators into. We don't need all those guys or ladies. Yeah. But we'll we'll take care of it. I mean, I I think if you if you went back and I don't, I'm just going to speculate here. Total, total speculation off the off the top of the chief's head. Uh, if you went back, you and I had had the time. I don't really have the time neither to you, but if we could make time stop for a week where you guys, you and I got 10 days with a couple of flunkies to do all the work. We don't want to do all the work. Uh, the, I would say that the, let's start with the baby formula industry. Now, it is so counterintuitive to me that there's four people left making this stuff when to, yeah. me, to me there should be 200 plants. Now, somebody is going to say, uh, wait a minute. The bigger you get, the more efficient you get. And I'm going to say, a Nobel Prize winner, Milton Friedman, said one day, once you reach a certain point, doubling it does not make you more efficient. It may, it may, it may yeah. make it so you, you're, more, you're more in control of price, but it doesn't make you more efficient. And I'm going to say, if, if you and I armed ourselves with a copy of the, of the uh, Sherman Act and went back in that business 50 years, we would probably find... 20 to 30 to 50 instances of combinations that resulted in a restraint of trade to now there were four. And we could go back and probably even under statute of limitation, as Carl always says, that is a friggin' felony. It's not just an oops, we screwed up. That is a felony. Felony means you go to jail. These big firms are also lobbying Congress to limit their competition from overseas as well. And they always bring up this idea of, well, we have to have safe products, right? They, they use that public safety thing as a way to restrict trade. And it's just like the milk producers in New York State. They ban the importation of milk from, like, say, New Jersey. Yeah. Because it's unsafe. They, they invoke public safety, right? They, they ban the selling of raw milk. But who does that? The big milk producers who need to pasteurize yeah. to get the product into all these stores, right? Whereas raw milk producers, you buy it, you know, a day after it's pumped out of the cow, right? And it's safe to drink. 
So you use the law and public safety as a way to limit your competition. And that, to me, is mercantilism. And that's the problem that we have, yeah, I you, think. You, know, you clearly don't understand that competition is the best thing in the world for every industry but mine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in my industry... Yeah, that's why if I'm no longer a Republican, I grew up in Idaho, right? And everybody in Idaho is a Republican, all right? My parents were Republican, my grandparents were Republican. At one point, I thought to myself, you know what? Republicans, they, they talk these pro-business policies, and they talk of free markets, but they want free markets in things that they purchase, but they don't want free markets in terms of things that they sell. Oh, without a, They want without, protections. It, well, that's, it's, yeah. cutthro- it's cutthroat competition. <laughs> it's in my yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I mean I, once, whenever I get in this... Discussion somewhere would we need to we need to you know a capitalist society versus the Democrats they want to be socialistic and I go you know I I don't like the Democratic the current Democrats policies but I certainly see what they're seeing and saying whatever this is this isn't working I mean right when I see a, a, a business with three three uh, three suppliers when there used to be twenty and there hasn't been a, a I mean somehow or another. I mean, I'm not I'm not big on the role of, of government too much, Hal. But one thing you need to do, I think, is you need to you need to maintain competition, which is yeah. which is not what they do. And and uh, it's, I was asking uh, who the hell was on yesterday? Uh, well, John Flynn and I were talking about. I, I don't understand how in my in my youth, when I was in college and in grad school, somehow Hal. A group of people from academia, that's why I was giving you some grief, grief earlier about the money supply numbers. Somehow people in academia got together with some legislators and over a four or five year period, basically competition sprung up everywhere. It was a CBOE instead of, it was a, it was a competing market maker system versus a specialist system. You deregulated the airlines. There hadn't been a new airline in business since 1932, even though the business has gone up like by what hundreds of percent. Uh, deregulated the trucking. If you didn't have paper, I would work for a firm where you had a you loaded up a truck in Chicago. You could go from Chicago to Colorado. You couldn't, couldn't stop in Iowa or Nebraska. I mean, how, what sense did that make? Um, all of a sudden, there was a time when there was a massive pushback, pullback, whatever you want to call it, against all these combinations. And now, ever since then, I mean, you had AT and T busted up, but ever since then, it's gone absolutely the opposite way. And I'm saying, you know, the Republicans out there, it started with Ronald Reagan. He never saw a merger he didn't like. They're, they didn't prosecute one antitrust thing in the eight years he was in there. I have no idea what what the people in the antitrust division did all day. I mean, they must have been a lot of good card games. I mean, I, we we don't we don't have a you know, when's the last time a, a couple of mergers here have been stopped by people in Europe? They've never been stopped here, have they? I mean, what are we, well, we, go ahead. well, I actually think uh, government regulations are the thing that creates the cartels. I think in the absence of all these federal regulations and these administrations, a cartel, a cartel formed privately may survive a few years, but eventually that cartel is going to be busted by entrepreneurs who see the above average uh, margins of the cartel, and they'll come in and they'll attack and uh, create new factories and go after those margins. I, I, I think I, cartels and monopolies they can survive in a, by themselves without government 
prop up in the short run, but over the long run, entrepreneurs are going to see those uh, high margins, and they're going to jump in and pull those prices down. Are you, uh, so I, personally, I think the cartel the cartels are formed by government regulations and I, rules. Without a doubt. I mean, the, the, re- the reason why Pfizer and Merck and those people are there is because it takes up a billion dollars to get through the FDA with a drug. So if, if you and I... And, and they, they, they also lobby government to force yeah, all Americans to buy the product, right? Yeah, the only the only thing I'm and gonna, they become billionaires. The only thing I'm going to I'm going to say to you, and I love to give you grief once in a while because I can't very often, but I will this time. You, you uh, and what you just said is, first of all, it's economically absolutely true. You sound exactly like Milton Friedman and George Stigler. The only problem is, all all three of you are are tenured professors, and you have a whole different time frame on life than the rest of us gnomes. Actually. I'm not tenured. We don't have tenure at Westminster. Well, okay, but I'm saying is the, the yeah the idea being is here, here's where I'm going with this. If there's if there's two hamburger joints in town, and one guy decides to buy out the other one and and raise prices like right away, okay, uh, I agree with you. If he if he goes too whole hog instead of five hours for hamburger, show my age. If he raises it to five fifty or five seventy five, he's probably going to get away with it. He raises it to 12. You and I might, all the way from Salt Lake City, you might say, gee, there's room for another hamburger joint in this little town. Yeah. I mean, but if it takes two years for you to figure that out, another year to build the place, for three years, people in that town are getting screwed five hours a burger. So, yes. Yeah, but but, but it it takes, it's actually, it doesn't take it that much time to figure it out because guess what that guy's going to do? He's going to be buying a brand new pickup every day, and his neighbor's going to be going, why is he buying a brand new pickup every day, or every month, or every year? They're going to go, oh, what is he doing? He must be making a lot of money in what he's doing. They're going to follow him to where he's, his business is at, and they're going, oh, there's above average margins in the hamburger business. I'm going to open up the joint right now. But, but even, so if I it's, think, even if it's two weeks, or instead of ten years, yeah. it's, I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, if you decide Bristol Myers buys Squibb, and ten years later we find out that they've managed to screw with the prices on fifty different items that they both did before, it's it's gonna it's it's years and years to break those two bumps up, where you just sort of said no in the first place. Well, but in the pharmaceutical realm, though, you're, you're talking about a medical cartel, right? Yeah, of doctors, of medical schools, of politicians. Of government all kind of working together in this massive cartel, and you know, I think it's really, really almost impossible for an entrepreneur to jump into that space because there's so yeah. much government protection against these uh, potential competitors, ind- independent entrepreneurs trying to disrupt that market. So, in, in the hamburgers right realm, I think it's different, right? You're going to see the guy driving the, yeah. the Lamborghini down the street. You're gonna you're gonna ask yourself the question of why is he driving a Lamborghini? I'm driving an old pickup truck. You follow him to his business. He's got this profitable hamburger joint. You're gonna jump in immediately. Well, and, he, you're gonna be able to, and you only need one competitor to pull prices back down. Well, I'll give you a quick example because we had a uh, my, my uh, one of a good friend of mine. He's been on the show a couple times. John Dyer knows more about the pharmaceutical prices than anybody. He was he was the youngest guy on the Osco board when he was like in his twenties or something. He was, really knows the business and. uh and he was telling me one night over a couple of adult beverages, he goes, you know, the uh, these people that are buying up, when we did with the generics, 
the generics was was he goes it was like the wild west everybody's pricing these generics it's amazingly competitive one by one they essentially got picked back off and bought bought by the company in the who was doing the stuff in the first place and the generic prices have like tripled or quadrupled in the last few years well yeah but i'm saying massive consolidation yeah, there right so i'm saying you and i we yeah. could probably go through it even if we wanted to to prosecute people i'm going to say we could probably find five places that bought you know aspirin uh Aspirin's been generic forever, but I'll use it anyway. Generic aspirin and bought it when it was, you know, two cents a tablet. Now it's twenty cents a tablet. Stuff like that. It and we we could find that, and I, and I guess we could try and prosecute all these people, and maybe we could get a few of the the ones that really were the biggest pains in the ass in jail. But it would have been a hell of a lot easier to recognize what was happening early on and just saying no, you can't buy those guys. You make Viagra. Those guys make generic Viagra. That's that's not an arm's length transaction. You you can't do that, right? It's, I say it's easier to just not let it happen than to figure out how much everybody's stealing for a decade and try and break it apart. I just to, that, that's but, but the uh, regulatory, but the regulatory state is the reason why we have these cartels, right? Well, the, yeah, right. Can can you get good regulators when the when the when the, when the, when the one guy who's uh, maybe cares about the thing all of a sudden Mark, Mark hires him as a consultant for three times his salary? I mean, yeah, I, I I'm with you on this. Now, I'm just trying to figure out where is the solution, and my, and my gut tells me if you could do it, the solution is not letting it happen in the first place. Well, well, the solution is in the TV show, The Food That Built America on the History Channel. I've been watching in that, and one of the problems with companies becoming big companies like Nabisco was the fact that these bakeries, they weren't very clean, and in order to grow big, they had to improve the production processes, and they did it without government regulation, right? They yeah. became these big corporations, national brands, because they had the, the best processes. They had the cleanest production lines, and that's how these companies became these national brands. And it, you didn't need, I mean, there's very little, I think there's a lot less regulation and oversight, federal oversight in these kinds of industries than there is in medicine. So I think what you have to do is you have to strip away the regulatory state. And I think consumers are, consumers with the age of the Internet and information, they are the ultimate regulators, and they're merciless. You, you F with their, their kid, right? Yeah. That business is going to be out of business in seconds, right? Well, the federal government can go in and shut down that plant. I read an article in Bloomberg where the FDA shut down this plant in Michigan because there was a bacteria in the plant, but it didn't match the bacteria that apparently resulted in the, the death of the infant. Right, right. And that plant's been shut down ever since. The FDA has been slow-walking oh, this yeah, thing. Slow walking. And now we have kids starving and having to go to the hospital for nutrition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all well, I would say you, you have to eliminate the regulatory state. There was a uh, a huge Nabisco plant right at 71st and Kedzie that made Oreos. The entire area in the afternoon smelled like Oreos. If you drove by there and you, oh, man. If you didn't get home and dig for the Oreo package, there was, <laughs> you were a rare bird. <laughs> well, that's why Subway took off, because they started making that fresh bread. I mean, before it was bloopy, right? Yeah. And then somebody started making their fresh bread in the stores, and it just took off because people couldn't stop themselves. They had to go into the store to smell that bread, right? 
Well, yeah, and well, then Matt, who owns those guys now? Is it Mondelez? What Nabisco? What's that? What Nabisco? Was it Mondelez? Somebody, somebody did. Because now they're, they're somebody they're, bought Nabisco. That plant's closed or pretty much closed. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, so are we the the market uh, real quick. I only got like a minute. Um, it's on again, off again. If if we start heading back down today, which I hope we don't really. Where, where did that rally come from yesterday? Is it just a bear market rally that jumps up every once in a while, or what? Well, I think what it is is people see an opportunity to buy, and they might think that the bottom is here, you know, because it's 20%, right? Yeah. So they might buy, but then if the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates, which they probably are, right? Yeah. In- inflation is nowhere. Uh, inflation is about where it was in the 1970s, and interest rates are nowhere near where they were in the 1970s and 80s, right? So the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates. You're going to see... The, the market's decline. And, it, you know, it might take, you know, a year to two years for you to see the new peak, right? So I have, I, I actually think it's going to continue to go down because inflation is out of control still and interest rates are nowhere near where they need to be. Right? If you're using a Taylor rule, interest rates should be at 11%. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I hope we don't have to go there. Hell, thank you very much, yeah. buddy. What are you doing for uh, anything special, Memorial Day? Uh, probably just hang out at the park with the kids. Cool. All right, have a, have yeah, a nice weekend, buddy. instead of hamburgers. All right, we'll talk at you next week, bud. Take right, care cool. of yourself. Let's futures down 39, NASDAQ futures down 200 exactly. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again.